Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. It really is good to be here. It's just saying to a couple of folk, um, before the service started, uh, I really love being at Arcadia. I love the folk there. Um, have missed you, uh, missed uh, familiar faces. It is good to see you all again this morning. I do notice that there's a couple of faces I expected to see that aren't here. I suspect that one or two people are sick. Um, so do be praying for those amongst us who are ill, recognizing that some of them will be watching online even now. I do pray that even as you hear the reading of God's word and hear the teaching of it, you too will be encouraged. Friends, this morning I'm going to be reading and teaching from the book of Acts. Acts is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's the first book after the Gospels, and uh, we are in Acts chapter 2. You may remember that a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, when I was here last, it was Pentecost Sunday or the week before Pentecost Sunday, I taught on Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 41. It was the most verses I've ever preached on in my entire life. Um, This morning we're going to be finishing off the chapter. Um, Maybe a shorter sermon. (laughs) Who knows? It's right as we come to the reading and the teaching of God's word that we pray. I'm going to pray that the Lord would quieten our hearts and our minds and prepare us for his word. I'm then going to read from God's word and we will teach from it. Let's pray. Father God, your word, it is faithful and it is true. It is without error. Upon it we can build our lives, we can stake our testimonies. It is sufficient for all matters of life and doctrine. This morning, Lord God, as your word is read, we pray that it wouldn't end in our ears, but we who are hearers this morning might become doers of your word. Would you transform our lives, conform us toward the image of your son, Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. Our desire is to live lives to your praise and glory, Lord God. Would you make it so? These things we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Friends, uh, I will be reading from Acts chapter 2, beginning at the 42nd verse. Could I ask as many as are able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 2. Beginning at verse 42, hear the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all 
as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Just so far in the reading of God's word, please be seated. So we are a multi-site church. We have two campuses. This campus in suburbia, the hill, and our campus in the city center, Arcadia. Our Arcadia campus seats 800 people and attendance is around the 200 mark on a Sunday morning. There are about... 250,000 souls within walking distance of that steeple. Most of which don't go to church. This campus seats 200 and attendance is almost 200 on a Sunday morning. There are over 3 million souls in our city most of which face eternity without Jesus Christ. That's what motivates us to think about church growth. The millions of eternal souls who face judgment without a savior. The thousands of souls disconnected from the body of our Lord. Now, from experience, churches grow in legitimate and illegitimate ways. Where would one go if one wanted to see legitimate church growth, biblical church growth? The book of Acts. Acts. As a book, is all about how churches grow. Acts is about the spread of the gospel. How God's word continues to conquer souls even to this day. Despite oppositions in every age, even to the present. Acts is about how the gospel triumphs. Luke's refrain through the book of Acts is to celebrate church growth. Church growth excites Luke. The the victory of the gospel thrills him. Think of what he writes on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 where we left the last time that I preached. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The church grew. Of the early Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, uh, 47, we read that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church grew. Of Peter 
and John preaching the gospel in the temple in Acts chapter 4 verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. The church grew after the Lord purifies his church in Acts chapter 5 verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The church grew 18 times in the book of Acts, Luke writes about church growth because church growth delights Luke. It exhilarates him. And so he records it. If you want to know what biblical church growth looks like, legitimate church growth, you must go to the book of Acts. Now, as I said, the last time that I preached, we ended up in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received these words were baptized and added that day about 3,000 souls. And the takeaway from that sermon was that churches grow as the gospel is preached. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to verse 47 describes what that brand new church looks like. It was a winsome church devoted to teaching, fellowship, and worship. If you're taking notes, that's what the whole sermon this morning is about. That it was a winsome church devoted to teaching, fellowship, and worship. And so let me start by saying and talking to a church devoted to teaching. First, it was a church devoted to teaching. We read in verse 42, the first part of it, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In standard six, I had to choose an extramural activity, and so I chose squash. And I nagged my mother, for a new pro Kenex squash racket and new Adidas squash shoes and new squash socks and uh, shirts and um, shorts and a squash bag. And all kitted out, I arrived at the squash court with a handful of tokens and great excitement. I turned on the lights and I hit the court and I discovered that I don't like squash very much. It is a very sweaty sport. Too much energy to get that little ball around the court. It wasn't fun at all. It was a kind of torture. I made the G team. My squash career lasted a season. So I chose a new sport, hockey. <laughs> and I nagged my mother for some new Gray's hockey stick and new shin pads and new hockey socks and a new hockey shirt and shoes and a hockey bag and all kitted out. I arrived at the hockey field with great excitement and discovered <laughs> I don't like hockey <laughs> very much. 
It is a very sweaty sport, and it's dangerous. <laughs> I spend most of my time ducking that little dimpled kookaburra ball. <laughs> no, that game wasn't fun at all. <laughs> my hockey career lasted about a season. And so I chose a new sport, cricket. <laughs> you get the point. <laughs> Youthful zeal with no sticking power. Loads of enthusiasm with no devotion. Devotion includes the enthusiasm I had as a kid. It doesn't exclude it, but devotion is more. To enthusiasm, devotion adds perseverance. A steadfast, single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. Devotion persists tirelessly. Devotion continues intensely. Devotion is diligent unremittedly. Too many Christians today start their journey off the same way I started off squash. Earnest at the start, but lacking the perseverance that devotion requires. Examine yourself. If this is true of you, repent of lukewarm Christian faith. Repent of playing around with the things of God. Repent and cultivate tireless persistence. Cultivate intense continuity. Cultivate unremitting diligence. Friends, we must be a devoted people or we will soon fall away. But the question is, devoted to what? The Jerusalem church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word apostle means sent out one. Here it refers to the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. These men played a unique role in the church. And this office is not in the life of the church today. The teaching ministry of these 12 apostles became the foundation of the church. It was the primary activity that they engaged in. They devoted themselves to this word ministry. In Solomon's portico, they preached. In public gatherings, they made proclamation. Before the Sanhedrin, they witnessed. From house to house, they taught they could not stop speaking about what they had seen and heard. And even when they were charged not to teach, they filled Jerusalem with their teaching. The 27 books of the New Testament are the received teachings of these apostles. It is to this apostolic teaching that the growing church devoted themselves to. So what would a church devoted to the apostles' teaching look like today? It 
would be a Bible church. A church given to Bible preaching. Throughout the book of Acts, the phrase, the word of God, is shorthand for apostolic preaching. Sometimes this phrase appears as the word of God, and sometimes as just the word. A church devoted to the apostles' teaching would be a church devoted to God's word. And so the question is, are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? If you're a preacher or aspire to be one, your primary task is the careful preparation of God's word for God's people on Sundays. Do you set aside enough time for this task? Do you put in enough energy into the process? Do you put enough emphasis on the responsibility? If you are a church member... Are you well prepared to receive God's word on Sundays? Do you read through the passage in advance? Do you make sure that your household gets to bed early enough on Saturday evening? Wakes up early enough on Sunday morning? Stays attentive during the service? Do you talk about the sermon over Sunday lunch? Of course, Devotion to God's word is more than just the Sunday sermon. It affects the way that we read our Bible. It affects the way that we study our Bible, the way that we memorize our Bible, the time that we spend with others in midweek Bible study, the recorded sermons and podcasts that we listen to, the books and the commentaries that we read. We are to be a church devoted to teaching. But secondly... This was a church devoted to fellowship. A church devoted to fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. We see that again in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, the second part of that verse. This is more, this is more than coffee and cookies after the Sunday service. The word for fellowship here is kononia. Kononia describes the experience of having something in common. To kononia is to commune. To kononia is to have participation. To kononia is to cooperate. To kononia is to take care of one another's needs. What did kononia look like in this Jerusalem church? Well, we read about it in verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were breaking bread in their homes. So we know they continued to own property and to keep homes. But with additional properties, they were free to sell them and share the proceeds to all. It was an act of benevolence. And there was an urgent need for benevolence in Jerusalem at this time. Many of the saints that were saved in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost were from out of town. These pilgrims depended on the goodwill of others to take care of one another. And so the saints in Jerusalem sacrificed for their brethren out of love. 
We read in verse 46 that day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. These people spent time together in one another's homes. They ate together. Not as an every now and again special event. This was their common practice. They lived in community with one another. And it gave them great joy. So what would a church devoted to this kind of fellowship look like today? There is a repeated phrase in the New Testament that we would do well to commit to heart. A phrase that promotes community living. It is a phrase that is repeated a hundred times. Fifty-nine times it is a command which teaches us how to relate to one another. The command to love one another um, occurs at least 16 times. But add to that, we are called upon to be devoted, to honor, to live in harmony, and to build up one another. We're to be like-minded towards, we're to accept, and we're to admonish one another. We're to greet one another. In a COVID-free world, we are told four times in Scripture to greet one another with a holy kiss. We're to care for and serve and carry one another's burdens. We're to be patient with, speak the truth in love and be kind and compassionate toward one another. We're to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to live out this list of one another's in community because you couldn't submit to, consider one another better than, or look out for the interests of one another from a distance. We're to bear with and teach and comfort and encourage one another. We're to exhort and stir up and even show hospitality towards one another. We're to employ the gifts of God that he has given us for the benefit of one another. And we're to clothe ourselves in humility towards one another. Friends, we are to pray for one another and even confess our faults to one another. This one anothering is how we become a compelling community. Are you devoted to the fellowship? Are you embedded in the church? Are you a vibrant and functional member of this church? Are you loving and being loved by the one another members as you practice the one another's together? Or must you repent of a separatism? And individualism and isolationism and set yourself back on track toward community. This is why we light the fires at the hill on a Friday evening and have a bring and bright together. Do you come to a blaze? Speak to Philippe and get information about this. This is why on, uh, we turn on the TV and watch box games or Protea games or Bafana Bafana games together. 
Do you come when we show national sporting events? Speak to Tim at the back of the church or wherever he is and get more information about this. This is why we have 25 small group Bible studies meeting in one another's homes during the week. Are you connected to a midweek Bible study? Speak to Isaac and get more information about that. We are to be a church devoted to teaching and the fellowship. Third, this was a church that was devoted to worship. They were devoted, we see in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now the breaking of bread in Acts 2.42 is most likely a reference to the Lord's table. The prayers would have been the daily temple prayers and prayer meetings and prayer services added to that. The Jerusalem church loved worship, reverent, joyful worship. I say reverent because in verse 43 we read that all came on every soul. The word all yet translates the Greek word phobos. It's where we get the English word phobia from. Fear came on every soul. Not terror. Terror is for unbelievers because God's judgment is coming for them. His wrath will find them. Believers do not fear God. Theirs is a fear in a reverent sense. Reverence which translates into worship. Believers offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. I say joyful because Luke's description of the Jerusalem church was that day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Weekly worship wasn't enough for these saints. They met in the temple daily. <laughs> they had praise parties. The, the Spirit of God filled His people. They were filled to overflowing with joy. Dire, dull, droll religiosity will not do for Holy Spirit-filled believers. Our religion is a religion of gladness, a religion of song, a religion of dancing, a religion of clapping, a religion of celebration with arms raised high and with peals of laughter spilling out of our hearts. Now, thanks Tim. <laughs> so what should a church devoted to worship look like today? Well, firstly, worshiping churches are gathering churches. The book of Hebrews tell, tells us that we are not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. The word translated meet in that verse is episynagogue. It's where we get the word synagogue from. The word means to gather together in one place. Devoted worship is first gathered worship. Devoted worship is second, guided worship. The Bible guides the corporate worship of the church. And no authority to disregard it. And so according to scripture, we gather to read the word. We gather to preach the word. 
We gather to pray the word. We gather to sing the word. And we gather in the ordinances to see the word. And we gather to give towards the promotion of the word. Are you devoted to worship? If you're an elder in the church, do you show your devotion as the primary congregational worship leader of this church? Do you exercise careful oversight over the corporate worship service, over the order of the service, over the song selections and lyrics, over the appointment of worship leaders and the worship team? If you are a member, do you find corporate worship dull and dreary? Does your mind wonder to all the things you could be doing if you weren't at church? Then repent. For the times you have not devoted proper affection towards God in worship. And prepare your heart to delight in him in, his, in the presence of his people once again. Friends, we are to be a church devoted to teaching, to fellowship, and to worship. And we are to be a winsome church. This is the fourth point. It was a winsome church. They had the favor of all people. And we read about that in the first half of verse 27a. If you only read verse 42, you might conclude that they were only devoted to studying at the feet of the apostles, caring for their own number, and worshiping God together as a community. A self-absorbed kind of devotion. But what you would miss out on is the missional nature of the Jerusalem church. Because even as they went about praising God, they were having favor with all the people. Too often, the Great Commission has become an embarrassing omission. We don't go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We stay and make friends with people who look like us and dress like us and sound like us. Not these saints. They understood that God is on a mission to reach out to the world, and so they were on a mission to reach out to the world. They lived out their lives with a missionary mindset intend to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, their Lord. They were attractive to those who were looking in. Their devotion to teaching was attractional. Their devotion to fellowship was attractional. Their devotion to worship was attractional. It was all winsome, favorable to those who are outside the faith looking in. Are you winsome? Two things about winsomeness. First, it requires you to be transparent. The world won't see our teaching, won't see our fellowship, won't see our worship if we hide our activities away in some dark corner. Do not consign your religious activities to your heart alone, to your head alone, and in your pew alone. That may keep the world from mocking you, but it will also keep the gospel from confronting your friends and your family and your co-workers. 
You need to look out for ways to live out your faith before others. At work, at university, at play. Second, winsomeness requires boldness from you. Boldness to live under the scrutiny of others. And boldness to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You need to look out for opportunities to share your faith with your family and with your friends and with your acquaintances. We are to be a winsome church devoted to teaching, fellowship, and worship. Now a word on church growth. Everything that I've said up until now answers the what question. Acts 2 42 to 47 is like a set of blueprints. It it tells you what the brand new church looked like. It was a winsome church that was devoted to teaching, to fellowship, and to worship. It was a God-glorifying church. Acts 2, 42 to 47 is like a set of blueprints which tells us what our church should look like. But now, I want to ask The how question. How did that winsome teaching, fellowshipping, evangelizing church grow? The answer in the text before us is a little surprising. It's not something that we do. It's good to be a winsome church devoted to teaching and to fellowship and to worship. That is what we should aspire to be. But that's not what grows the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. As if we get the pulpit right, we will grow. If we get our life groups right, we will grow. If we get our worship set right, we will grow. Or if we get our evangelism explosion right, we will grow. Those things are important, but they're not what grew the early Jerusalem church. The text is clear. It's at the end of verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Church growth is a sovereign act of God. The word added in that sentence is the same in verse 41 as in verse 47. In verse 41, those who believed were added. In verse 47, those who were added are those who were being saved. From this we deduct, John Stott says, that he did not add them to the church without saving them. There was no nominal Christianity at the beginning, nor did he save them without adding them to the church. There was no solitary Christianity either. Salvation and church membership belonged together and they still do. Up to this point in the book of Acts, the word Lord always refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the answer to the question, how does the church grow is this. It is the Lord who builds his church. As he said he would. In Matthew chapter 16 verse 19. Jesus owns his church. Jesus builds his church. And Jesus guarantees the success of his church. Acts 2, 42 to 47. 
gives us a description of what his church looks like, the church that he is building. And Acts 2.47 assures us that he is presently building it. Now, if you're anything like me, and we come now to application, you love this church, and you want to see it grow. How are we to respond to the truth that churches grow as the Lord builds them? Number one, if church growth is in fact a sovereign act of God, then believer, you get to be encouraged. The local church that you serve may grow or may be in a rough ride over the next while, but its growth is up to the head of the body, the church, Jesus Christ. And so take courage. He's got this. The future of the ministry that you love is in safe hands. Number two, if church growth is in fact a sovereign act, then believer, you can be enthused. Enthused to preach the gospel. Enthused to share the gospel. Enthused to live out the gospel in your life because Jesus will use you as his instrument according to his good pleasure. Third, if church growth is in fact a sovereign act of almighty God, then believer, you ought to pray. Ask Jesus to build his church as he said he would. Ask that according to his will, his church would be devoted, this church would be devoted to teaching, devoted to fellowship, devoted to worship, that we would be a winsome people because prayer is the mechanism that God uses to do his will. Fourth and final application this morning. If church growth is in fact a sovereign act of almighty God, then unbeliever, entrust yourself to Christ. Friend, you could not save yourself from the terror that is surely to come. From the judgment and from the wrath of God which is awaiting you. But there is one who can. God can save you from his wrath. God can save you by his son. God can save you for his glory. Jesus died for your sin and he rose again in victory from the grave. The Lord over the church would be Lord over your soul. Repent from your sin and put your faith and trust in him today and live. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, recognizing that you did not spare your son, but gave him up his life and his blood to purchase and redeem from this world a people unto yourself. And that people you have constituted into the church. Our right response is thanks. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. 
thank you for his death on the cross as a substitute for our sin. Thank you that he rose again and the payment has been accepted. Praise you forever and ever because you are worthy. Lord God, would you make us a church which is winsome, devoted to teaching, devoted to fellowship, devoted to worship, that we, Lord God, might be a city on a hill which is a light to the world and to the nations, that men and women might know that in this place there is a people who have been set aside for the worship of Almighty God. These things we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.